So to begin this session on children and education and how they are affected by the cultural downgrade, I'd like to first of all read from the book of Proverbs in the first chapter and the first few verses. So the book of Proverbs and chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. There are problems, as you know, in this culture, and we've been hearing about them today from the history and also the impact that it has on our society and our church society. The problem of history has been made very well by John Bloom, the educational vlogger in America. He's observed and remarked that our contemporary culture has been influenced to believe that the Christian gospel is virulent, intellectual infection that should be eradicated because it robs people of joy and freedom, that it oppresses women and makes its heavenly-minded adherents of little earthly good. That is an observation that this man has made, and in, as he remarks on it, it is something that would strike a chord with us. But such an influence is the product of atheistic human reasoning. Such beliefs ignore the facts that historically our culture arose from barbarism and Western civilization became in fact a treasure, something to be valued. It is from the Christian worldview that the worldview that is rooted in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments that we have human rights, we have equality under the law, we have democratic government, we have science, we have health care, and most importantly we have education. But when a so-called civilization refuses Judeo-Christian teaching, that human beings are special creations made in the image of God, then matters descend. They descend into almost tragedy. It may, it, the tragedy is that of meaninglessness. When God is denied and left out and rejected, then human beings lose out on the ability to see that God the Creator is a God of justice, He is a God of creativity and of character. He is someone, as we have heard, to be feared and worshipped, adored, respected. Education is the discovery of God's world in all its beauty. And to see in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the master educator, our teacher. And it's into this scene that we must now address 
what is happening in educational circles today, particularly in the primary and the secondary school years. In the book, again, that I could recommend by Indian author Vishal Mangalwadi, the book that made your world, it was uh, published in 2011, he testified that his study of the Bible in the context of his own culture and nation opened his eyes to God's desire to bless all nations. I'm going to quote from him, from his book. He said this, My investigation of whether God had truly blessed India through the Bible yielded incredible discoveries. The university where I was studying, the municipality and democracy I lived in, the high court behind my house and the legal system it represented, the modern Hindi that I spoke as my mother tongue, the secular newspaper for which I had begun to write, the botanical garden to the east, the public library near our garden, the railway lines that intersected in my city, the medical system that I depended on, the agricultural institute across the town, all these came to my city because someone took the Bible seriously. We were always told that India's freedom was a result of Mahatma Gandhi's struggle, but it was a surprise to me to learn that in reality, India's freedom was a fruit of the Bible. Before the Bible, our people did not even have the modern notions of nation or of freedom. The Bible created a modern world of science and learning because it gave us the Creator's vision of what reality is all about. End of quote. Now it's because we are created beings made in the image of the Creator that we, you and I, are able to study at all. What are we able to do? We can reason. We can discover, we can look around the world where we are, we can see the wonderful things that there are here, we can observe things, we can think, we have minds to think and learn and relate. Why? Because we bear God's image. Now the Bible places a high emphasis on gaining knowledge. We've read from Proverbs chapter 1, but Psalm 11 verse 2 says, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of them, of all them that have pleasure therein. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord Jesus, we remember, gave instructions to his disciples. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Education was a priority in the Lord Jesus leading of his disciples. But as for parents in this 21st century, there's a huge obstacle to overcome when they face educating their children. Because it must be said that each family is responsible to God to ensure that their children are educated. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. 
So education in Bible times was a natural activity. However, the Holy Spirit singles out Abraham as a successful and an effective educator. Reading from Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, the Lord God says this of Abraham, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Yes, Abraham as an educator, one who taught. And Moses received and transmitted God's purposes for the education of children too. And it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6, these words, which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That's education, comprehensive education within the family, within the ancient family. And the word of God has not changed, as we've already heard today. So the problem of history is that education was, yes, rightly was set out before us in, in Scripture, but it now has led to the problems that we've been thinking about today. The problems today finds us moving on from the authentic biblical model for education, which was a good model. Now the cultural surrenders are a most worrying feature of our society today. And we could ask how we've arrived at this point with regard to education. Well, firstly, we've identified society's departure from its Christian roots and our other speakers have done that in a fine way. There has been a process. Generation after generation has lost biblical histories in families and communities as people have verged away from thinking about God and worshipping him. And in her book, Sharon James rightly points out that for many centuries, teaching children was the job of the church. Now, the oldest still functioning school in Britain is King's School in Canterbury, which was established by Augustine of Canterbury in 597 AD, 597. And the Reformation leaders in insist that provision was made for schools to ensure that literacy was available to all. Why was that? Just so that we'd have literacy? No, so that all may read the Bible, may understand the Bible, may receive what God says in his word. Luther said that it was criminal if parents did not ensure that their children were given an education. And many schools in Britain and other parts of Europe were run by believers, by Christians, church schools. And we may be interested to know that the hymn writer, Isaac Watts, also a gifted pastor and preacher, also wrote many textbooks for use in the education of children. Language, mathematics, logic, literature, 
all covered by his efforts and were valued for many years in schools. And then secondly, a major change came about in the late 19th century, because in 1870, an Education Act was passed in Parliament to make it compulsory for all children to attend a school here in the UK, 1870. On April 8, 1870, a demonstration was held when Lord Shaftesbury said this, what we ask is simply this, that the Bible and the teaching of the Bible to the children of this vast empire shall be an essential and not an extra. The religious teaching shall be carried on within school hours. Well, the education bill is passed, Lord Shaftesbury wrote later, a few weeks later, in a brief note. It's passed and it's now become law. All children are to attend a school. He says it was inevitable, but you will date from it the greatest moral change that England has ever known. And he was right. We've been hearing about it today. And history records that this 7th Earl of Shaftesbury feared that in providing a national education system in which every child would be taught, that such a system would eliminate all religion and freeze up the flow of genuine, simple, evangelical life. Furthermore, he predicted that the 1870 Education Act would lead then to the secularization of England, in which the state system would become more powerful and produce generations with less and less vital Christianity. Final quote from Lord Shaftesbury. 10,000 are taught to read but not 100 will be taught to know that there is a God. Well, so much for the history of how we've arrived in the first quarter of the 21st century. 150 years have seen a slide in the culture of cultural surrender. And yes, generation of generation have succumbed to the secularization of our society. So that to mention in some schools, the Lord Jesus Christ, or to mention God, to mention the Bible, or the worship of God, one is greeted with looks of amazement. What planet do you come from to think about these things, they will ask. So now we need to be alerted to the effects of this surrender on what is happening in education. We as Christians have an enemy. We know who that enemy is, the evil one, Satan, the master of deception. And it is Satan who has presided over this downgrade of education very successfully. His principal aim has been this, to seek to remove from state school classrooms the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, which is, as I said, in the 1800s in Victorian times, it was there as a principal subject, not anymore. It's almost like an add-on. Are we surprised at this with such an enemy? 
Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter. We've had a quotation from that today, but in the next chapter, in chapter 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Yes, fables. What are these fables? It seems that the education system today seems to be influenced heavily by cultural Marxism. Some teachers use their access to children to teach young ones these beliefs. There are some secession exceptions, of course. There are still denominational church schools holding to a Christian ethos and will make sure that the scriptures are taught and assemblies are held which have God and Christ in their subject area. But because followers of this ideology demand complete acceptance and affirmation of their lifestyle choices, we find that the authorities are not all that keen on continuing this religious influence. They want it to be across the other religions too, and not Christianity, anything but Christianity. And this works out in the following ways. Children are taught to make statements and express beliefs that they actually don't accept, and it may be at variance, particularly in Christian homes, with what they are taught at home. And it'll be in the areas of sex and gender and identity. And instead of the Christian teaching about life, and finding their true identity in the Lord God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're told lies in the classroom. In some schools, nine-year-olds are being told that there are over 100 different genders. And that becoming transgender is the way to obtain happiness. We had that reference earlier on, happiness rather than holiness. And despite strong evidence to the contrary, they are pushed into these thoughts as if they are truth. In one Edinburgh school, a head teacher not long ago encouraged all the boys in the school to wear a skirt for a day to encourage support for diversity and feminism. And younger children, as young as three, could be faced with lessons that comply with the government's requirements that teaching on sex should be accompanied by a balanced representation presentation of opposing views. Many, many schools fail to even attempt to balance. Instead, and yes, sadly, in some church schools too, such books as Antango Makes Three, that's the title, could be read to little ones. What is this? The blurb says this, that it's a heartwarming true story of two penguins who create a non-traditional family. At the penguin house in the zoo, two penguins called Roy and Silo were being a little different from the others. But they had a desire for a family. And with the help of a kindly zookeeper, Roy and Silo got the chance to welcome a baby penguin of their very own. You can see where that goes. Another book is called Stella Brings the Family. Here's the tagline on the back of the book. Stella's class is having a Mother's Day celebration. But what is a girl with two daddies to do? 
In both books, traditional Christian teaching is stripped away in favor of language centered around identity groups, challenging conformity, being different. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. In the winter newsletter of the Christian Institute, and I do recommend their campaigns that they run in this particular area, but there's a report saying that some schools are denying parents access to materials from external providers for RSE letters, lessons, that is, relationship and sex education. And the Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, has said that parents should be able to see what their children are being shown and what they are being taught. Several Conservative MPs are seeking to make it a legal requirement for schools to provide parents with access to all materials used in relationships and sex education. And that follows a parent governor at a primary school being removed from that governing body when she challenged pro-trans RSE content. The governor was reinstated following a legal challenge by the Christian Institute. And school governors, and I do encourage parents, if they can, to become governors in schools for an influence of the salt and light that we heard of earlier. And they should inspect their school's RSE policies very carefully. Legally, those policies should be on the school's website. How many parents read them? But they can and should, and they may be surprised in what they see. So what did this governor challenge in her schools? She challenged four things. School lesson plans encourage children to question their own gender and identity. Secondly, to invite children to talk about concerns that they had with outside groups, but did not include the children's parents to talk to them about it. Thirdly, the school used the discredited gender-bred person graphic, teaching various views on gender identity and expression. And fourthly, another lesson plan made the claim that a man or a woman is determined by personality, hobbies, and clothes, but not by biology. Now, my friends, there's no basis in science, whatever, for this teaching. It is part, though, of the cultural surrender, and it constitutes a turning aside to lies. And if we have any influence, we should use it for the truth that we heard of in one of our sessions, the truth as it is in the scripture. And turning to senior school issues, an article by a lady called Darby Strickland, a faculty member of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, deals with how to shepherd children through exposure to pornography. She says, and I quote, many parents fail to realize what characterizes today's pornography. It is dark, it is evil, and on the internet, it's free. Some children view pornography as a means of sex education, but it is of the worst type. It displays a corrupted and distorted depiction of what God designed to be a wonderful expression of intimacy and oneness, all designed by the Lord God himself. There's a great danger in this trend. 
but it seems that most parents struggle to talk to their children about pornography, let alone the dangers of it. Now the scriptures are clear. We are to shepherd our children. So we must push past what feels uncomfortably and comfortable to us because our children are counting on it. Here is the word of God. Further in that chapter of Proverbs 1. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. So how can parents shepherd their children to enable themselves to be better image bearers of God? First of all, to be honest about the reality that at some point the children will be exposed to sexual images. They're everywhere in the digital world that we've made reference to today. But first, have a set of guidelines regarding access to the web. The child should never be alone, always accountable to a parent for what they've seen. Of course, Christian parents must first work out their own strategies to combat the temptations, to be ready, asking the Lord for his help in this area. It's not only the children who are vulnerable and liable to be tempted. And a genuine desire for holiness and purity in parents and families will be the basis for the coping, coping with these dangers, including parents' own accountability methods. So what can they do? They can tell the young person. If an image appears on their computer screen, on their tablet, whatever it is, to close the window as soon as they can, fast, and then come and tell the parent what had happened and reassure from the parents, reassurance from the parents that it was right to do that. And making a point to regularly discuss how other media content and TV impacts them. To have that family rule to switch off at the first occurrence of something, something that is ungodly, of such material, such as this wicked pornographic material. And it's absolutely vital that that happens. Ephesians 5, such a help here, including verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And so discussions with the young person concerning God's plans for intimate relationships, these are best done in the home and they should not be given to someone else in a school to do that. <clears throat> Children exposed to pornography will have an increased risk of being addicted as adults and so a safe and a loving talk about how sin, especially sexual sin, is a trickster leaving desire for more Young people need help to guard their hearts. Proverbs 4, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Our Lord God wants our children 
and our young people not to be caught off guard by evil, which is why his word is full of warnings about it. Most of all, parents should pray. Pray that the Lord God will give them the courage and the conviction to prepare and protect their children, particularly in the home. There's a link available to this article referred to by Darby Strickland, and you'll find it on the notes if you've registered for the conference. Well, as we come to a conclusion about education, in today's climate, Christian parents should not surrender. The biblical worldview, which has been explained in several of these sessions very helpfully by the other brethren, is the basis for instructing our children in families and within churches. Yes, pressure must be put on lawmakers to resist the constant pushing of the secularists with which we began this talk, which will ultimately harm our children. Now, some parents have withdrawn their children from the state education system. Entirely understandable when you see the pressures that are there. What would some of us in our older age do now if we were having children and having to think about education? And thankfully, the Lord does permit this to educate our children at home. At the moment, that is. But will that last? Yes, home education is a huge commitment, not without its own pressures too. But then pastors too, and church workers and church officers should be available to the families of the church to pray with and encourage parents in their God-given role of nurturing children in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of his word. And most of all, we who are the Christian public, who are concerned about this, else you wouldn't be here today because you've seen these subjects and you are concerned about it, then prayer should be earnest amongst us. We should have our eyes open to the dangers of this cultural downgrade and pray fervently, fervently for God's reviving power to come and bring spiritual changes that are needed to protect our children. May our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayers in these days. Let us pray together. O Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that Thou art our Father and that Thou dost care for us. Thou dost care for us as adults and Thou dost care for our young ones, our children and older children. We pray for them today, O Lord, whatever their situation is, whether they're being taught at home or in the state system or in private education, Lord, whatever it is, protect their hearts and help us to grow them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to show them the right way, to show them Christ's way, to be alert to the dangers, to not to push it away and pretend it's not there. Help us, Lord, not to sweep it under a carpet of, of disinterest. Oh, help us, Lord, we pray. May we be vibrant and careful in our praying, in private, in families, and also in our churches. Oh, that, Lord God, thou art come, 
and that thou make a difference, and that we might see again not a secularization, but rather we might see spiritual values in our society again. Have mercy upon us, Lord, forgive us, that in times past things have gone wrong because we have said nothing. Help us, Lord, we pray. We ask it in the name of our Saviour Jesus Christ and for his glory alone. Amen. <laughs>